Did you see that look? Michael indicating he can't believe it. Lock it in. There's like someone drilling next door to me right now. Can you hear yeah. it? Congratulate them on the set. This is the basketball buzz. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Logic and reason. With Zach Harper. Oh man, if you put Gordy in Atlanta, we can kiss Waz goodbye from Los Angeles. <laughs> Big Waz. Kristen's beautiful words about pop are the best advertisement for the CIA that I've ever heard in my entire life. I've seen the machine in the basement of Madison Square Garden turning out $100 bills. <laughs> yeah, this isn't for weed. This is a you know, lifetime achievement award. <laughs> right now, that is good. I've been wanting to say that for a long time. South will rise again. I'll tell oh you that boy. much. Oh <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what I think. I, I don't I think, think it's inconsistent. You've been popped, right? Yes. <laughs> he may have big bones, but he doesn't have big meniscus. What? Why would I wear pants or shorts or anything? Everyone does well when you have good results. Produced by Jade Hoy. Like Everyone does them too well, they don't. Yeah, yes, yes. This is a journey into sound. The mecca of basketball. <laughs> Everybody knows if you go back in time, don't do anything. The ramifications can be quite severe. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value. So now you should sing the Bulls instead of oh. the Chicago Bulls. He's got it wrong, doesn't he? That guy. And this is what he gets the big bucks for. I've been watching too much Saturday Night Live, I think. Welcome to the Basket Buds edition of the Back-to-Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Zach Harper. That's Wasney Lambray, our cultural anthropologist. That's uh, Trevon Edwards, Dave DeFour. We have Jade Hoy producing. And our special guest today, the one and only godfather of basketball blogging, Henry Abbott from True Hoop. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, I'm so honored to be here. This is fun. It's great, right? It's like Super it's like great. the old days. You, Jade's telling you to fix your mic. Like like we got <laughs> we got the we got the gang back together. Uh, we've been doing I, we've been doing these these yeah. lookbacks, right? These old games. And so we had Jay Adande on last week, and he wanted to watch the uh, what was it the eighty seven All Star game, the eighty six All Star game. I can't even remember at this point. Uh, I think the eighty seven All Star game, the one that was in Seattle. Eighty seven, Zach. Yeah, eighty seven. And then this week we have Henry on, and Henry, which game did you want to watch? Well, I'm feeling like pandemics are exercises in acceptance and you have to practice just dealing with it, right? So I'm a Trailblazers fan and I thought we should watch game one of the 92 NBA finals, which is when young Henry Abbott went in thinking the Blazers really had a chance to beat Michael Jordan's Bulls. And then he had the shrug game where he just hit, uh, in my recollection, 753 pointers. I think that's accurate. Can, yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's in number. a row. Um it's just hurt. It just hurt. I don't know why I chose this game. It's ridiculous. It was so, one of the worst days of my life. One of my favorite tidbits <laughs> from this game, one of my favorite parts of this game was, I think it was the, it was towards the end of the second quarter, and they started talking about, all right, Mike's hit a couple of threes in this one, and they start telling a story about how a reporter was asking Jordan <laughs> to, uh, you know, kind of compare himself to, to Clyde and everything, and then the reporter brought up, well, what about three-point shooting? You know, Clyde's a better three-point shooter than you. And Mike apparently said, uh, apparently said, well, that's because I don't choose to shoot. Yeah, them. like if I shot more, he, if I shot threes, I'd be much better than the student. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 right, right, exactly. Exactly. The was like he just comes in and just, all right, I'll, I'll hit, I'll just set an NBA Finals record and a half just to, you know, kind of put everyone in their place and then we can go back to playing regular basketball. He took the DeMar DeRozan route. Mission accomplished. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> it worked. I got some points early on on this, man. Two things that stuck out to me. For one, Chicago Stadium. 
I never knew that. I always thought it was the United Center for a long time. United Center came around United in like 94? Yeah, it was their new shiny corporate yeah. joint. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and he wasn't, and Jordan wasn't there for the first game, right? I think that's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was probably, probably the return. He was still doing swinging bats. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Jerome Kersey doing the jump against Bill Cartwright. <laughs> we are set for the opening tip. Bill Cartwright steps up to go. That was Jerome that was kind of interesting. And then the inside play um, between the bigs, like they, the Blazers started off an entry pass to Kevin Duckworth. It's a three point play. Like it was a battle of the juggernauts in the paint. And I'm like, this is about Clyde and Michael. So why are we, why are we getting yeah, these post Yeah, it was a lot of like back and forth. I think it was a lot of Kendrick Perkins stuff. Not that those guys were as bad as Kendrick Perkins is offensively, but it was a lot of Kendrick Perkins like, let's get these guys involved early so they're engaged and then, and then we can kind of go from there. Uh, I want to set the stage a little bit for, for how both teams got here, right? So 92 finals, obviously the Bulls are the, the defending champs. They go through the, the Miami Heat in the first round, 3-0 sweep. Michael dropped 56 on 20 of 30 shooting in the elimination game. Uh, then they beat the Knicks in the second round in seven games. Mike put up 42 in a 29 point victory in game seven and then beat the Cavs in game or beat the Cavs in six in the Eastern Conference finals. Uh, Jordan averaged 31, six and six in that series for the Blazers. Henry, you probably remember they beat the Lakers in four in the first round. Clyde was amazing. Then uh, they beat the Suns in five in the second round, which included a 153 to 151 double overtime game four victory that essentially ended the series, put them up three one. And then it wasn't Clyde who who led them over the Utah Jazz in the Western Conference Finals in in six games. It was Terry Porter. Terry Porter led the team with twenty six points per game. He was killing them, Henry. I was always a Terry Porter fan. I never really liked Clyde that much. <laughs> to be totally honest. Wait, Henry, I want to know, um, like, what was your? Can you set the scene for like what your life was back when this series happened? Because me personally, I was five years old, right? So. I wasn't sentient when this happened. I want to know, like, obviously you were a Blazers fan, but what was life like for you in those days? Well, gather around in my rocking chair, Sonny. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was actually, I was home from college. I, I went to NYU starting in 91. I grew up in Oregon where mostly I would, like, the Blazers were not good when I was a kid. So I listened on my Walkman while I was doing my homework. And I go to school hoping everyone wanted to talk about NBA basketball. And I like I had friends and everything, but they just weren't into that. Right? It just wasn't a very cool thing in Portland until they started getting really good in you know near the end of high school. Right? By 1990, I graduated from high school, and that was the first year they were in the finals, and that was the first time like other people were listening to it, talking about it, watching games. Um, so I went to NYU and then I came home that summer and I worked at this resort in Central Oregon and you know it's sunny. I think I was a lifeguard that summer and you have this kind of you know you know made minimum wage but like a dreamy outside lifestyle. But then I was like drag myself inside to because I was this diehard fan to watch this game in like the rec barn <laughs> and uh, and I was like this is going to be one of the greatest days of my life because the Blazers are going to win the NBA final starting now. And it was just like, just terrible. It was, just wasn't fun at all. <laughs> it was, that was definitely not the game to like yeah, go in with high hopes, right, yeah. bro. Because for one, you, you're facing Michael Jordan, obviously, who was villainized, you know what I mean? For, you know, always doing something correctly. I mean, especially beating the Lakers. You're just like, who's going to stop him now? But, you know what I mean? Like, the Blazers did a two-on-two press and that really just 
that really rubbed me wrong. <laughs> they were pressing in NBA basketball. And, but Clyde was still gliding all over the place. The Bulls were pressing at times, too, but they had Mike and Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's <laughs> right. overall. Which is, right. There's a big difference there, it was. <laughs> at, the, at that time, I think, like, a lot, of, a lot of 90s basketball wanted to, like, test those ball handlers to see if they actually could, you know, control the ball um, coming up the court. And really strong ball handlers always did that back down. The Magic Johnson back down. Jordan did it a lot. Obviously, you know, Van Axel and, and, and other guys that, that kind of were famed for it. But my 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 highlight of the first half was Bobby Hansen checking in Iowa great. Oh, man. <laughs> and Bobby Hansen immediately knocking down a short corner mid-range jumper. Mike Fratello and called him a kamikaze. Three now, right. <laughs> he called him a kamikaze type that's just going to go all out when he goes in there. <laughs> that means he's shooting, Waz. That's what that means. Uh, I, I had the note, I, Bobby Hansen checks in for the Bulls, and he looks like a bad drawing of Tim Legler. <laughs> that's fair. That is fair. Pippen for Hansen, wide open. Yes. Bobby Hans is one of those kamikaze guys. You put him out there, he gives everything he has for the minute that he's on the floor. You know, he had that hair. And, 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 and Henry, what were you thinking at that particular time as a fan? This game is still close. This is 35-32, by, by the way. Do you, do you still believe at that particular time that the Blazers were going to either get their, hit, their, hit their stride and, and, and go on a run and just kind of run away with this stuff? Because obviously you had – Cliff Robinson hitting baseline and going to dunk, and they were aggressive on the on the on the front court with Buck Williams and, and and other guys, and it looked like they actually had a chance. And then Michael just became Michael. Well, yeah, I mean, so that Blazers team had you know steamrolled through those playoffs, right, and had been to the finals a couple of years before. So you just see you saw them wriggle out of a lot of trouble, right? It seemed like you know it would feel bad. This was a time when um, the team would be down like, you know, five, six, seven points in the last few minutes of a close game. And the home crowd would stand and cheer, give an ovation then, right? Like the idea was like, of course you got this, right? That was, I haven't seen that a lot where the crowd leads the team in like the comeback, right? But it happened. So yeah, of course I thought it was going to happen until it's, you know, it was later that it was clear it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> You know, the media really killed the Blazers in this series. They did. They, oh, my God, Dave. I was just going to ask you they, about that. Well, they, they talked up Drexler too much. <laughs> Situation. It's built up to be Jordan versus Drexler. Michael Jordan said, okay, come on. You're in my building. Come on. With he's so versatile. He plays you know, offense. He plays defense. He's, he's good with assists. He can score. So you got to respect him in all areas. You, you can't. You can't go into these series comparing a guy to Michael Jordan. It just. It's not fair to that guy. But, so the comment that Mike made that same three point comment. He was like, you know, our stats are pretty even across the board. Mike was trying to be diplomatic about it. And then the reporter mm -hmm. goes on and says, but he's got you on threes. And that's what Mike was like. <laughs> right, right. Yo, relax. Hey, Mike, Mike came out gutted <laughs> too, man. Mike came, like Dave, Mike came out gutted. He, he missed his first two threes, then he hit three in the first quarter. three-point unusual to see Michael bombing away. That's his third three-point attempt. Yeah. And he uh, finished with 18 points in the first quarter. And then he was like, he was kind of looking for it. There's Pippen setting up Jordan. One over for another three. Jordan for three. Oh, 
Morris away to where even after he he hit the shot, uh, he hits the, he hits the three uh, to give him his fifth one, and that that sets the record, right? And then in the sixth one, it was only in the sixth one. Yeah, that's where you get the shrug next to Cliff Robinson. I just I internally felt bad for Cliff Robinson that he got stuck in that highlight, right? Because it looks like he's doing the shrug to Cliff right. Robinson. Cliff is really like 10 feet away or something like that. He's an innocent bystander yeah. in the whole but thing. But then after yeah. that, Dave, after that, there's a play where Mike's like, Mike does like a James Harden, like he fakes a drive on the left side. He like steps back to behind the three point line where like the where it breaks up to the top, and he missed it. But like that's a that's a Jordan three point heat check. Like that's oh yeah. I don't I didn't remember that at all. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I I forgot that he just walks right into the sixth. Oh yeah. Right. So the Blazers were like playing desperate. They were running all over the place. Jordan just. I mean, literally walks right into an uncontested three for the that was, But that was my note, um, Dave. All of his three, maybe one of those threes that he made was contested. The rest of them were, yeah, they, they were, were sagging back. And he's like, I mean, you're just going to like, like, let me shoot a practice shot here. Okay. Well, so Danny Ainge talked about that in, uh, in David Hal- Halberstrom's book, uh, Playing for Keeps. He said Drexler essentially was giving Jordan the outside shot. As a now bait. I don't know. A bad bait. Yeah, just trying to bait him into shooting threes. Well, how that they, work? But out? they said he made twenty seven threes all season, right? Part of it is probably like yeah. psychological. Right. It's like make him mm-hmm. take a shot that he doesn't want to take, even though he could probably make it. And you know, like I, my recollection of Mike is strictly through the prism of the second three peat, and even then, he felt like a reluctant three point shooter. Like he, it never Watch. felt like it was something he wanted to do. You also got to think about the power of the role player during that time, what your role was. And if you were a three-point shooter, that's what you did. And not too many guys were just trying to do everything. (laughs) And the fact that Michael kind of answered every call he was nitpicked at, oh, you can't defend. All right, I'm going to be defensive player of the year. Oh, all he is is a dunker. All right, I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? And he answered every single call. So the fact that Hey, I can shoot threes, but I, I'm surrounded by three point shooters too. Why am I going to do that? And the Portland, Bla- the Portland Trailblazer strategy was to pack the paint. So a lot of those shots were just like gimmies, like hug the line. Yeah. It wasn't like crazy deep as it is now. But again, those step ins were still high percentage three point shots. Well, he was always shooting that 22 footer. Yeah. Right. So it's not like it's really that big of a difference in the shot. Yeah, long long twos were big too. That's another thing. Like a lot of those dudes. Can we talk about Terry Porter's pr- stepping on the line like twenty dot times? Like he made it. I thought, I thought, I thought that was just transition. <laughs> yeah, that was just an ode to Mitch Richmond, I think. Because Mitch Richmond, I think, is the king of those long twos with the toe on the line. Zach, it's a lot of dudes that didn't know their 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 spacing on the floor. Yeah. So when they would take shots, they're so caught up in the focus of staying at the rim and just taking those shots that they realize, and they're not arguing like it is now. Like now, they try to over like overshow that. Like, look, I'm behind the line. Right. Those dudes are just catching it in rhythm and just firing well, it up and thinking they're further back than what they were. Well, and, and it was also it was not a strategy, right? Like, like this is before the NBA ever called a play designed for a three. Right, right. Post up, post ups. 
the entry pass came from like 18 to 20 yeah. feet. Well, it was just not a thing. Henry, one of the funnier things is is when they mentioned like, oh, Mike's hit a couple of threes in this game. And they and they said, well, as Ahmad Rashad noted earlier, he he felt good after lifting weights today. So he's got that extra like strength. Strong. And, like, he can launch cause, cause the it, ball. Because like, the idea was that, oh, you like, oh, it's such a far shot. You really like have to put your body put. into it. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, it was just. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know, noted, noted power players, John Pax. Right, Kerr, right. you know. <laughs> well, all right, Henry. I want to. So you said the real strong guy. You said you weren't a Clyde guy, right? So what? Like, what was your? You want the Blazers to win this series, obviously, but you know it's Clyde versus Mike. So what was your like thought process as a fan going into that? I thought Clyde versus Mike sucked, right? Like I thought that was an <laughs> absolutely terrible mental mental approach for us, right? Actually, it's, I, I once uh, in pickup played there's a there was this guy will who played on here who was just an amazing player and i had to guard him um in some game and i literally just intentionally got under his skin so he got super focused on me and we like neutralized each other because he was like not using his teammates at all which was a huge win for my team because like the stalemate here was favoring everybody the rest of our team was better so that's what happened here right so clyde's like oh i'm going mono a mono and and we're just getting like Clyde was terrible. I mean, looking at it up, he's five for fourteen, um, and shot zero for two from three. I feel like as, when Clyde was pressing, he was garbage, right? Clyde didn't really have good court vision. He dribbled with his head down. He didn't really. I felt like he was kind of like a weapon. He was great to catch a pass and finish, but he wasn't good to like run the offense. And so that was really why I was more of a Terry Porter fan because he had to like recognize the situation and make a good read and a play and, and distribute it. And when that team was rolling, it was really good. And actually, Danny Ainge was pretty important to that team, I think, um, for that same reason. But yeah, Clyde to me was, even as a commentator now, he still bugged me because he sort of like thought basketball was this incredibly simple game because the things he did were, <laughs> right? But like, <laughs> but it's not simple, right? He had to, anyway, um, yeah. Was, no. was Danny Ainge one of those sought-after guys? Because he played in back-to-back finals to annoy Michael Jordan. Yeah, after after winning in Boston, right? He was kind of looked at as like a super role player, I think. Super journeyman because he yeah. played in his finals with the Blazers. Well, he had the championship DNA. Of course. And, then he played in, and he played in Phoenix where he was really physical with Michael. Yeah. And it, it's just it's just hilarious to see. And then they like kind of panned over and, 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 and highlighted uh, Jordan's personal assistant. Uh, yeah, who oh, got George the job? George. <laughs> he got the job just by showing up in the airport for somebody else. Another shot back at Chicago Stadium now eight years ago when Michael Jordan was drafted here. You know, no one, nobody sent anybody to the airport from the Bulls to pick him out. And this man, George Kohler, found him wandering around the airport. Well, I wasn't really wandering around the airport. He stepped off the airplane. I was standing there waiting for him. Strictly by accident. And you happen to be a chauffeur at that point? At that point, yes. Had my own company and went up there to pick up a customer. The guy never showed up. And Mike was the last guy off that airplane. So I asked him if he needed a ride. He said yes. And it worked out very well. You've been his personal assistant now for eight years. Eight years, yes. All right, George. Thanks a lot. Mark. Michael Jordan found himself Clyde and Terry Porter. Obviously, Terry Porter, like Henry just mentioned, is like a basketball player. Like, he's out there making reads. He's super skilled. These all of those things. But another person that jumped out to me was Cliff Robinson. And he was so clearly a a matchup problem. Because he's so big. And there was that one play he catches it on the right baseline. And he literally just dribbles right past Scott Williams and dunks it. Right. And they're like, man, Scott Williams cannot guard Cliff Robinson (laughs) on the perimeter, which, you know, that stuck out to me because in today's game and especially in a playoff matchup, 
the, the, uh, a smart coach would have figured out how to get all of those Bulls bigs in trouble. Um, it's particularly with the with the um, Clifford Robinson matchup where, you know, he's taking guys out to three. He's taking guys off the dribble. And he was probably too big and long for Scotty. So it's like, man, like that that would have been a matchup that just got exploited like crazily in a in a matchup in today, I believe, man. Well, hey, Henry, as a as a Terry Porter guy who who, you know, thinks he's a smart player, are you surprised that he's not a better college basketball coach? I remember st- so I was excited for him as a coach and um and I stood there in the hallway. I think they were in New York and was like, no. And he was saying things about his team that struck me as like, oh, players are going to love to hear this. And you know, he's going to be a success. And then I, then after he finished his little talk, I walked in the locker room and basically asked open-ended questions about him to the players. And they were all just kind of like staring at me blankly with like no one could think of a good thing to say. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but I have to. I don't think it's going to work. You know? like, so I don't know. I don't know the nuances of like how you earn trust, but... Um, maybe that's not his gift, you know, cause yeah, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, since, since this is the shrug game, I want to go through each three pointer from, from Mike. Oh, good. Um, right. Sorry, Henry. Maybe you want to earmuffs this one. Um, <laughs> so the first one, <laughs> first one, they're dead. So Blazers come out, they're controlling this game, man. They're running all over the place. They're up 17 to nine. Mike comes down, um, knocks down a three pointer. And then on the next play, that kind of got him going a little bit on the next play. He took Clyde into the mid post. Drew a foul, hit a jumper, got a three-point play. Um, his second three-pointer came off a, a Scottie Pippen drive um, with about four minutes left in the first. Uh, Mike wide was, open. Yeah, Mike's wide open this in, the, in Wait, the right corner. Hold on. So back to that first three, though. So this is some of the genius of Phil Jackson. And and when you watch this play, it just makes you think that that these guys were purposely avoiding the three-point line for the most part, these old coaches. Because he's... They're in transition, and Horace Grant screens Jordan Jordan's man that's waiting for him at the elbow, and so Jordan's got about six feet of space on this three. You could just dominate in 1992 with an offense that did stuff like that. Oh, for sure, but yeah, they, they also like. I mean, when Mike had the ball at the top of the key or at the top of the three point line, right? Um, like mm-hmm. his man's playing like six seven feet off of him because Mike's just looking to pass. Like it's just it's so funny looking at the game through today's eyes now. With with those older games, because like like you said, like there's all that space between these guys on the perimeter. Well, and yeah. probably he'd had that space a lot of the year, right? But right, sure. He made twenty seven threes the whole season and made six in this game. That's yeah, crazy. Six and a half. <laughs> oh, six in this half. Six and a half. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Th- so yeah, th- that second three, he's wide open in the right corner. Um, towards the end of the shot clock, Pippen drives, finds Mike, he knocks it down. Uh, the third three pointer pulls it to, um, pulls it to 25 23 with 245 left. Um, and that's when we get the tidbit about after the third three pointer that the reporter had asked him about Clyde's three point shooting and he said he hadn't chosen to do it. So at the end of the first quarter, 18 points, seven to 12 from the field, three of five from three. Um, after that, uh, where's the fourth one? Oh, Mar- so Mike didn't, didn't, he actually sat a lot of that second quarter. This my dog goes crazy over this, this game. Um, he sat a lot of the second I was quarter. Well, yeah, it might be Dave as well. I don't know. Maybe Dave might be sending signals he to him. He played the whole first and they came back with like, I think five and a half. Yeah. In and the so, second. Yeah. So with 440 left in the, in the second quarter, uh, he knocks down another one. Um, he knocks down a jumper after that to give himself 25 points. The fifth one, uh, is where he sets the record with 205 left. And then he walks into that, that sixth one, 
um, with Danny Ainge closing out on a, you know, when he was sagging in the paint. But I thought, I think it was Mike Fratello put up a, you know, had a great thought of like, they're not thinking of Mike as a three point shooter anyway, even though he had hit a few in that game. And so Trey, when, when Danny Ainge closes out on him, his arms are down. Like he's playing the drive, right? Cause I think you had, yeah, you still I mean, had to every, against Mike. Everybody was poking the bear at that point. And, and with that three, Mike got 35 and a half, like, bro, just even thinking about the record. Like, yeah. Yeah. He the, broke Elgin, Elgin Baylor's record. I think it was, it was Bill Lambeer and Michael Cooper. They had five. No, I'm, I'm I mean, in for, I'm in for, uh, I'm in for points and a half. Oh, and a half? Yeah, points and a half. In oh, the yeah, finals yeah, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. Elgin, yeah. And this game was really out of reach. It was 66-51. You know what I mean? Like, they, they still could have kind of clawed back. Back when a 15-point like, lead was like... <laughs> that's eight possessions, boss. Like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> now guys get... Yeah. There's, no, there's no magical shot that's worth extra points. <laughs> yeah. Now, now teams get down 15 just to feel something, right? It's like the guy wants to get punched in the face at a bar just to have a good night. Like, it's, you know, that's that's today's game. Yeah, and man, I'm sure we're going to get to magic at some point because we get, have to get to magic I every time. We, do we did, yeah, we did it but, the first one. He made one good point, and it was that. He was like, look, Mike <laughs> is dominating this game. I know. <laughs> Mike is dominating this game, and he had a putback. That was the only shot that was within, I want to say, 12 to 13 feet. Yeah. Everything yeah. else was a jump shot, mid-range or a three-point shot, and he dropped 30-something. It's crazy. He didn't get to the free throw line. He wasn't doing any of that. He was literally yeah, and, just making every single shot that he took. They had, a, they had, a, beautiful, they had a beautiful blob uh, in the second half from Pippen where he fakes out Clyde. I don't know what Clyde was doing. I don't know if Clyde was planning for the inside. He, like, shoves him off and then catches the lob and just taunts like crazy, like, basically, like, boy, don't you ever be compared to me. Like, it was so disrespectful. Jordan's above the rim, like, at elbow length, throws it down hard. He does his pose, gathers himself, and just jogs off. Like, come on, man, y'all being disrespectful. And then they did the comparison of the points. It was not even close, man. Yo, what did you guys think of the um, triangle offense? That's great. Which I, like I, I, which the I thought was so interesting is that they never played a quote-unquote point guard, right? Like, it was basically Well, Jordan like, was the point guard. Right. It was the collective knowledge of everybody knowing what the hell to do. And even, like, there was one play where Horace Grant caught the ball on the low block and he gave a beautiful inside pass, right, to Cartwright and he got fouled when he went up. And I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. Like, even Horace Grant knows how to do interior passing. Yeah. Like, when you think well, of the collective you notice, IQ, they didn't need a point guard to set, quote-unquote, set the table. Yeah, if you notice, Phil Jackson had a tendency that he played bigs uh, four and five that could pass and shoot. They didn't really have anybody who was a spectacular ball handler that would never break down the defense off the dribble. I mean, Jordan did, of Obviously, course, but, yeah. but not like an Isaiah Thomas type. No. Um, and that's the, the beauty of the triangle is it doesn't require that type of player. And so if you've got smart players who know how to cut, know how to pass and are always looking for the open guy, which Jordan still to this day doesn't get enough credit for how many of those mid-rangers he would pass out of. I mean, he, he did it like yeah, four he, or five yeah, times. Interior <laughs> passes don't. in this game. Right. And and that kind of stuff is why the triangle has been so successful. And, and it's still, you know, Golden State still uses a lot of triangle principles, you know, with their with their split cuts. and But yeah. they just move everything out to the three-point line. Yeah. So it's easier. 
You know, I think to me, yeah. in like 92, a lot of the value was if you have a dominant player like Michael Jordan and don't have a system you impose, he's going to ISO the whole time. Right. Yep. Right. So like you just like it's not I don't know that the triangle was so magical, but not ISOing was really great. Right. But the triangle, I mean, it was it was good too. Having a big that can actually make that cross pass, like it's not like a crazy pass that you have to make, but that triple post always freed up the opposite side for the shooter. So a lot of tension went to that shooting guard that was very active and obviously nobody else ran it, um, which was unique, but um having Jordan as like an ideal guy to make plays most of the time when he got that attention and drove towards the paint, he would find that opposite shooter. That was just wide open. That Steve Kerr, that John Paxson, that Craig Hodges, whoever it may be to fill in. And those dudes shot a high percentage at 40% with no problem. You know what I mean? So, and then you also had a uh, dump down with, with Pippen slashing down and then Horace Grant finishing anything that was near the basket. Well, the other thing about a system like that is it elevates your your floor a little bit. You're going to have a baseline level of competence where people know what's happening. And and you know, back in the you know late '80s, early '90s, when the teams didn't have that, it really stood out. I think you know what I think is most important though, and to to um sort of echo what Henry was saying is that like those five possessions where Cartwright takes a jump hook that has absolutely no shot of going in the fact that Jordan is not going crazy. Like I'm looking to see like, is anybody pissed off about what I just watched? Like this dude just wasted a possession on a shot that had no chance, but it's like, it's like, fuck it. That's, that's part of the system. It's cool. It's part of our economy of offense. Like it's cool. No, like, no one, no one want to get punched in the face by Bill Cartwright. Yeah, no one right. can get punched. Yeah, so you're not gonna say that. Like you gotta look and happy and everything. But that's what you gotta tip your hat to Phil for. He he created an environment where that could happen. And you know, people don't want to hear this, but like that's part of why that dude's gonna play his ass off on defense and get every rebound that he can, because he feels involved on the other yeah. end, man. So, and it matters. I know it's hard to quantify this this type of stuff, but it matters when people feel involved. And the offense let everybody feel involved. That, that's why they're giving the ball to Kevin Duckworth first play of the game. Right? Yep. Yep. That was the old thing, right? You feed the big right off the bat to make sure he gets a touch. And then, you know, when the other guys start getting a little greedy with it, he doesn't feel so bad. But, you know, Dan Tony talks about that all the time, the ball having energy and how you want everyone to touch it. And then and now in Houston, I think the energy is, you know, concentrated in two places. Right. And it really you know, there was also a big man, a big man dominant league too. Because I had a chance to see the '94 Knicks Bulls play uh, Christmas Day. Ewing was twenty eight thirteen a game. Sweet yeah. touch is a lot of is a lot of those dudes that actually have soft touch around fifteen to twenty two feet. Man, um, man, you can't find that now. There was a. I, I just looked up the box score more, one more time. I was like, man, I, I think Horace Grant must have like twenty five points because it felt like he was everywhere in the first. First half, and I looked at 11.7 rebounds. I'm like, all right, man. Like, it felt like he had like six or seven tip-ins in the first half. Like, it felt like he was all over the all over the place, but just 11 points for the whole game. So well, there was something wrong with Buck Williams too, right? Buck Williams was usually a phenomenal defender, but not that game. Yeah, I, yeah, but like Buck had a couple of moments, but it wasn't. Um, it was like it. It felt like it just felt like they were overmatched. It didn't feel. It didn't feel like like the Blazers weren't a smaller team than the Bulls. 
right? No. Like the Blazers had good size. Like Kersey had good size. Obviously, Duckworth is a monster. Um, Buck Williams has good size. Cliff Robinson, even Clyde for a shooting guard has good size. But it it felt like I don't know. It just felt like the Bulls were dominant inside throughout that. You know, both ends of the floor. They were blocking shots left and right. They totally did. I want to quickly uh, put you in my frame of mind as a whatever age I was, eighteen uh, year old or whatever. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking, why was I not thinking it was over and it was inevitable the Blazers were going to lose? And I think a couple of things kind of went. One is it wasn't a dynasty yet, right? Jordan and the Bulls had yep. won one championship, yeah. right? right? Sixty-seven and, wins this that season, though. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. you could sort of squint and see it coming, but like you know. Um, it usually isn't a dynasty, right? Like even when people seem really dominant. Um, the other thing that now is just occurring to me as we're talking about this is uh, the Blazers were down 22 points. I just looked it up in the 1990 Western Conference Finals against Kevin Johnson's Phoenix Suns, like Tom Chambers and stuff. And uh, they're down 22. I was actually, I remember playing in a game uh, and our coach, we were you know following it by somebody's radio or something as we're like, this was a game like actual with uniforms and stuff. Some like summer rec game, I guess. And, um, and the coach was like, Oh, it's the NBA. Anything can happen. He just said that. Like it was total BS, right? You don't come back from 22 down in the second quarter, but, uh, but they did come back and they won that game in regulation. And, um, and then there was, I think there was a game that were down in that same year, like seven points with under two minutes left and won it uh, in overtime, as I recall against the Spurs. But I think there was this kind of sense that it was some kind of, it, it, it's the NBA. Anything can happen. I think I was really so telling myself in the breakfast. When you saw 162, you said, You're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I felt like. So um into the third into the third quarter, Michael has 39 points, 16 for 26 field goals, uh, six for ten from the three. Scotty Pippen is nearing a triple double with 23, 9, and 10. Uh, this is where we get this infamous moment from Horace Grant, right? It's his fast break. He's leading off. He's BJ Armstrong finds him. He dunks it. He finds the camera and does his fist pump, which is featured in NBA Jam, right? One of the favorite cutscenes. But then we get a look at Robert Pack, and Robert Pack checks in, and he's speeding down the court. It's 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 almost like ten seconds left, and he dunks on three people. And we were able to do that in game two. Right, here's Pack with a very impressive drive. Robert Pack goes six to so Robert Pack is six one. You know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was. Yeah, that was um, crazy. It was a league of like maybe four <laughs> or five small dunkers: Spud Webb, Robert Pack, Kevin Johnson. You know, a few leapers, but that was so explosive. He took outside. He t- he jumped from like outside the block. Um, and then they showed this pie chart, right? And the pie chart showed where Jordan's contribution to the Bulls offense. He scored 544 points, which is 34% of their offense, and then assisted on 106, 176 points, which is 11%. Man, if Jordan <laughs> goes down, there's no Bulls at all. Yeah, ever. but, you know, that was advanced analytics back then. <laughs> yeah. To even consider that stuff. Robert Pack, by the way, is like all shoulders. He's all dunk on you. That's what he is. I mean, I I've, I I remember the first time I saw him and just thinking like this guy's a guard. He he's built like Charles Oakley, but six one. Yeah, basically, and he just he just exploded. Yeah. Um, I, I they made it. They made mention of it earlier in the game. Uh, 
Enos Watley was picked by the Bulls. Well, I guess technically Kansas City, but but traded to the Bulls on draft night, one pick before Clyde Drexler, right? And then they highlight that, oh, and then the next year, uh, they, the Blazers took Sam Bowie instead of, instead of Michael Jordan. And it's funny that, like, I think that was the first time in my life I remember someone highlighting that the Bulls had taken a player before Clyde Drexler. Like, I didn't know that. I legitimately didn't know that, Henry. And like to to that for the, for them to mention that I was like, well, why don't I know that? Oh, right, because Mike turned out really great, right? So like, it's, there is no story there. Like, who cares that they passed on Mike Drexler? What if like, man, they picture the universe where the Bulls take Drexler? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And that, and that Portland, Mike, that Domino and that Portland actually takes crazy. the, bla- you know, what I mean, like yep. Portland takes Jordan. Yeah, uh, you got so many type of, even though Henry, no have you ever thought about Bowie. that possibility? You ever, you ever thought about Jordan <laughs> on the Blazers? Oh, I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> Wait, was this you, before or after the two left shoes thing? You know what I'm talking about? Two left shoes. Drexler was so unnerved by guarding Jordan on Team USA in practices that one day he like put on his shoes and he there and someone was like, "Dude, you're wearing two left shoes." <laughs> That's so funny, man. Jordan is probably the reason why Je- Drexler's curl went and gone. By the time that series is going, he, <laughs> he was, was hanging stressed. on to whatever he, he possibly could have. He was stressed. He out. was stressed the hell out. <laughs> Yo, Henry, we don't have a lot of those. It's crazy because they used to be all over the place, though. When you said the Drexler was like, he was one-dimensional, which he was. It was just kind of like, put your head down and go to the basket. But like, so was Jerome Kersey, right? And to a certain extent, so was like a James Worthy or Latrell Sprewell. Like, who who are those dudes in today's NBA? Like, they're just straight up, I just get to the basket at all costs. I don't... I guess you could say Westbrook, but that that he feels kind like of. singular. In that they didn't really have the Eurostep. Yeah, right? So, like, those guys were straight-line athletes, right? I mean, it, was, it was slasher heavy. Yeah. Jerome was, like, a straight-line driver. Like Clyde was a little more dynamic. He had some ballet to his game or whatever. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, so now I guess it's, like, you know, Giannis, but he's doing it so beautifully, right, in so many different ways. And, um, but, yeah, that was a bummer. I, I, I felt like the game improved when those guys, you know, learned to shoot and do more things. Another thing I want to ask you all, though, about – the play, like people always talk about hand checking, which I get, I understand, but like the legal defense rules made it so that you could play in isolation where dudes like couldn't send all of this help your way, which I think is very advantageous to a guy who can play in one on one on one. A lot of times it's just straight up one guy on one side of the floor and nobody else there. Yeah, Cause everyone and had he to gets stick to, to their isolate man. his dude. Yeah. That's a great advantage to have as an offensive player. I think. That's why the scoring is so crazy, like ridiculous, ridiculous when you think about it, dude. Yeah. Wait, oh, I just found this thing about the two left shoes. Can I read this to you? Yeah. This was from, where am I reading from? Uh, this is from Playing for Keeps. Okay. Uh, this is a good paragraph. Uh, Jordan did not pass up the opportunity to talk some trash as he brought the ball up court. Didn't I just kick your ass? Anything here looked just a little familiar? Think you can stop me this time, Clyde? Better watch out for the threes, Clyde. Eventually, some of his dream team colleagues suggested that Jordan cut back on the trash talk with Jexler because they were all teammates now and there was no need to reopen wounds still so fresh. Back off he did, but the coaches noted that every time Jordan guarded Drexler in scrimmages, he took the defensive level up more than anyone else. Michael reported gleefully to the Bulls coaches that one day Clyde Drexler showed up at practice with two left sneakers. 
unwilling to admit his mistake and borrow a shoe from someone else or go back and get another one. He went out and played with a sneaker on the wrong foot. <laughs> Michael Jordan, who always looked for psychological weaknesses in his opponents, that was a sure sign of Drexler's insecurity. He carefully filed it away to be used some other day. Yo, if MJ is such a, he's a psychopath, an asshole. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, listen, y'all, you guys all know about what he and Pippen did to Kukoc. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it just want to ruin everybody, poor, man. Poor Tony Kukoc. At least with Drexler, it was, you know, there was something. Well, poor at Kukoc. least Drexler was the opposition. No, you know, the, I mean, the problem <laughs> right. with Kukoc is he was Jerry Krause's man. You can't be Jerry right. Krause's man. Uh, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, they were, Jerry Krause was uh, was too thirsty to have that next great find after, after Jordan and Pippen. Speaking mm-hmm. of thirst, guys, top performers in business and sports often attribute <laughs> their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting goals for the day, you exercise, you meditate, all that stuff. But not everyone has the time to do it. And with Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Dave, check this out. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around every day in everyday life chronically dehydrated? Did you know that? I didn't, but Trey tries to tell us all the time. Exactly. Trey's always saying, you got to drink water. Did you drink water today? Did you drink water? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. We'll kick that coffee habit, but you're worried about energy levels, so you just keep going the same cycle over and over and over. Well, how about this? Hydrant Waz creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Waz, you know what those are? That's right. They're sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. They help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all damn day. It's backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can even save more with a monthly subscription. And for our listeners, 25% off your first order. You go to drinkhydrant.com and you enter the promo code B. TB as in back to back at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BTB for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com, promo code BTB. What else we got in this game? This is the problem with this game is that the third quarter, it gets out of <laughs> yeah. hand. Well, like, the game it's was an over iconic game because of Mike. It's an iconic game because of Mike, but it got ridiculous in the third quarter. To the point where Marv said, quote, this has reached the point of embarrassment for the Blazer. It just gets worse and worse. For the <laughs> they, came back, they came back in the next game. Henry, they won game two, right? That was Danny H. That, I remember this. I, I, I mean, or I'm remembering incorrectly because I'm old. But I'm pretty sure that uh, and you made that point earlier about Danny H kind of being the man. Um he, this was the, his moment. The Blazers were down big in the fourth quarter and Danny Ainge just took over, willed them into overtime and then they blew them out in overtime. So yes, they, the, the whole fight thing I was talking about, it what didn't happen in game one, but it didn't totally go away. It was still, you know, it right. happened. And it was, it was, it was a two, two series after four games because they won game four in Portland, but then, uh, game five. Bulls win by 13, and then game six, uh, Bulls win 97-93 in that one. Uh, for all the talk, and this is this is really unfortunate because all the talk of, like, you know, Clyde's a better three-point shooter and all this stuff, for the series, he shot 15%. 15% from three. <laughs> That's not good. If, it's, if, a, if, it's rough. If he was, my memory serves me right. Also, um, you know, so- we, said, we said, you know, Mike never shoots threes, and he hit six in the first half of this one. The rest of the series, he hit six. 
He was, was just 12 like, of 28 for the series, <laughs> right. though. There's like, a, like advanced stats are annoying, I guess, you know, in some ways. But not advanced stats is also annoying, as evidenced by this anecdote I read in the Oregonian when I was like 15 years old. But uh, the Blazers coaches were like, Clyde, you're not a very good shooter. You used to work on your shooting. He was like, check the stats, man. I make 50%. And they were like, okay, we're going to edit a videotape of your shots outside the paint. And so they sent him home with a videotape of like, these shots where it was like, miss, 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 make. Cause he just dunked it so much as, you know, Phil Gorbachev was fantastic. So it took, this is how you had to explain in 1987 that you aren't a good shooter, right? Like it was legit an open argument for professional NBA player, whether or not they could actually stroke it. And to me, I'm like so thankful that nowadays you could be like, everybody would know, right? You walk in the gym, like Clyde, you're, you're shooting a terrible percentage from everything outside 15 feet. Yeah, I mean, that Clyde Drexler could think that he was a competent shooter is kind of funny to me. Fifty <laughs> percent of his shots, was. I mean, what are you going to do? That's, I mean, it's probably on it's probably on point five, you know, attempts per game at that. Right? It's not like you're taking a ton and just draining them all the time. It's that's just a weird, funny mindset. But that's a player mindset, right? Like that. You know, I don't have any weaknesses to my game. I'm out there killing people. You know, you know, these people want to feel supremely confident. All the time. So I guess that shouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And when was um, the three-point line moved in? Was that 95 to 97? Is that when it was? Like 94, know, 95, like 95, like 96? Yeah, George McLeod is all over the record books <laughs> because of those three years. Shout out to George McLeod. He was great. Um, but yeah, so like I think the for the most part, uh, I think Clyde's first – what is that? That's like basically first 10 years in the league. Um, he shot 29% from three. And then he's a 31% shooter for his career because like a lot, like Mike, Michael Jordan as well, in those three years where they moved the line in, everyone was hitting threes. And so they kind of mm. boost their career numbers up a little bit. I'm noticing that his rookie year, he shot zero threes. <laughs> that must make you want to throw he was, up. He was, one, he was one for four. <laughs> Dude, so I wanted to ask you guys, you know, because that's the to me that's the most fun part about rewatching it because it's just stuff that just kind of sticks out to you. Um, they they kicked it to Mike's dad at one point. That was oh, that yeah, was like was I legitimately like kind of perfect. Like, <laughs> like sat back a little bit. I was like, oh shit! Like, it, and I'm not trying to be rude, but like it was like seeing a ghost because I forgot. All right, thanks, Mark. I'm joined now by James Jordan, and we have talked about Michael being focused in the past, but today, this is ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you, that today, this kid has shown that it is eat his Wheaties, drink his Gatorade, and he's wearing his Hanes underwear. There is a very nice commercial for all those three products. Back to you, Mark. I don't know, is James collecting the, uh, the fees also? Yes, exactly. they kicked it to his it dad, and, and he immediately... Went into cell mode. He said, today this kid has shown that he's eating his Wheaties, drinking his Gatorade, and he's wearing his Hanes underwear. You got to do it. His biggest fan, man. That's why he dropped 36 and a half, yo. (laughs) Biggest fan. His dad was a salesman, dog. After that, how many Wheaties were sold? How much Gatorade was bought? Bruh. Genius. You thought you could do it all if you did all that stuff that Michael did. LeVar Ball. Go f*** yourself, bro. Like, you're not this good. It's the, that's the playbook, man. 
<laughs> You're not this good, dude. He literally said all three of this guy's endorsers yeah. in the first second of his interview. In the first sentence yeah, of I'm, his interview. I'm honestly that surprised he didn't say, after the game, we're going to McDonald's. Like, you know, that's... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That was dope. And another thing, because just like that just seemed like a blast from the past right there. Just Mike's dad. And then, you know, because like that's part of Mike's lore, right? Like he became this incredibly huge pitch man off the court with all of these crazy endorsements. And here's his dad. And remember, his dad used to be in some of the, I feel like his dad was in some of the commercials. Was in like a Haynes ad. Oh, I don't remember that. I'm pretty sure his dad was in a commercial or two. And so that was just cool. And then um, just watching Mike play, um, of course, you know, just like the, the no wasted movement, no wasted dribbles. Everything is done with purpose. Obviously, people talk about the Kawhi Leonard stuff all the time, but it, rem- it reminded me of two other people. And it's Tony Parker and Kyrie for the opposite reasons, right? Like, the first time I really started watching Kyrie play in the NBA, I was like, yo, this dude wastes a lot of time. Like, he wastes a lot of time, a lot of dribbling. Like, uh, Tony Parker has to watch his tape and just want to throw it and shred the tape. Like, yo, this dude just thousand dribbles, thousand this, thousand that, instead of just getting to your spot and doing what you got to do. But just watching Mike is just like, wow, this dude is so efficient, so deadly accurate. Just pinpoint everything he does is purposeful, man. It's incredible. We had heard in the buildup prior to the game that, is Michael Jordan going to be worn out having to play somebody like Clyde Drexler? What's it going to do to his offensive game run and What's stop the clock? One way is to get fouled to go to the free throw line and stop the clock. Oh! Michael Jordan off a set play on the inbound. Yeah, he was not, I mean, he not was to absurd. me. No, that was still didn't resonate. Did you hate Michael Jordan at the time? No, I just had to respect it. I, just, yeah. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't happy. That he right. was doing so well, but come on, like I actually got, I think maybe that year, um, as like a very special present, Christmas present, I think, um, my parents got me two tickets to when Michael Jordan visited Portland in the regular season. Oh wow! And I sat in whatever the I don't know, I was like the fifteenth row maybe uh, on the baseline which was the very end that he just attacked and attacked. He shot 18 free throws in that game, but he was just like flying at the rim. And I remember even as a, you know, huge Blazer fan, I was just like, what I'm seeing here is mind blowing, right? It just was so clearly a special, special thing. And so you're like, yeah, there's the league. I'm rooting for this team, but wow, look, there's a deity. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) That was that season. I think it was that season. Certainly right around then he was just coming on as a, as a, a major force, you know? Wow. I don't think I never got to see Mike live. Me either. Couldn't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I saw magic Johnson. Wait, you saw, Ma- you yeah. saw magic when you were a kid. I saw, I was, I was like, I must've been like seven or something like that. I think I want to say it was like 89 or something. And so I like vaguely, I vaguely remember being there, but like my parent, my dad talks about taking me. I don't even want to know what the Knicks were charging people for bowl games. Yeah, this was this was 1989 Sacramento Kings was. This was an easy ticket to. Yeah, <laughs> like 1997, 98. I can't. I don't even want to think about what the Knicks were charging people to go even sit in the 300 level to watch Michael Jordan play. I, I would imagine it was you know <laughs> incredible. So no, there was no chance. I didn't I go to my first game to 2004. There you go. Rose Garden, 
Boston yeah, Celtics, Portland Trailblazers. See, I was around the same time, Trey. Maybe even late. No, actually, the first game that I ever went to in person, dude, was the Knicks played. I think Chris Paul was still on Charlotte, and Nate Robinson was on the Knicks. And Chris Paul and Nate Robinson got to a fight, like a straight up scuffle at the game. Yeah, it was it was crazy. But yeah, that was and that so that was way after, man. Like. I, had, I, I went to some of my earliest games because um, the free Shoppers Weekly in Portland was called This Week Magazine, and they had like a mailbag where the Blazers broadcasters, uh, Steve Snapper Jones, and um, no, I think it was just Steve Jones. You would write in a question about the Blazers to Steve Snapper Jones, and if you, if you picked your question, you got two tickets to a game. And I got those tickets twice. No, no applause. Nothing. I was muted. Oh, no, I, no, I actually that's said pretty, wow, and I realized I was muted. Sorry. I, I, probably, I, probably would get, I probably would get in trouble. I probably would get in trouble for using the phone to call in. So, yeah, I went to a hockey game before. You had to write it a paper letter. Oh, okay. Is Snapper oh, Jones a Portland legend? Yes, for sure. Yes. Yeah, he was the guy for a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. I seen Wayne Gretzky before I seen a basketball game. That is wow. an upset. No, I don't want to stereotype here, but this is. NHL's fire. I've been to like four or five, and they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Everybody says universally, people agree that it's a great product. Yeah, it's great in person. On TV, I could, I don't. It doesn't really do anything for me, but in person, like it's there's yeah, something it's about tough. it. I have this problem. Maybe, maybe you guys will relate. Um, ba- the basketball is so big and easy to track around the court that I'm just. Well, I grew up just watching really this sport or like running, and um, the I, I'm like half time like where's the, where's the damn puck. Like the puck is gone missing again. Yeah, that's why they like, did that. Everyone that highlighter thing. Fox. Yeah, and I actually liked it. I was like, oh, cool. I can follow where this is. They were ahead of their time. They were ahead of their time. They knew what they were doing. People just like to hate any new idea. Precisely. Yeah. The, yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, Henry, were you completely demoralized after this first game as a fan? <sighs> I. Or did you still have hope? <laughs> Well, here's an interesting little tell. I didn't watch game two. I remember that very clearly. I was just like, whatever, man, life is too short. I got to get a little distance here. And then uh, a friend and I were like in his car and he flicks on the radio. And just for a second, we heard, we basically heard Danny Ainge lead that little comeback at the end of the fourth quarter. And then I was like, oh my God, like maybe I should have been watching this whole time, right? Maybe, maybe we're good. Maybe we're back in this thing. So it was just a buzz of emotion. Yeah. I, so I was completely defeated and then I was undefeated and then I was redefeated. Wow. That is, that's rough. That hurt. Yeah. Just trashed. Just like, <laughs> just like just beat up against the rocks. Yeah. Um, all right. We have anything else left from this, uh, this game? Well, if you take those hurried shots, that's what's going to happen. The Royals of the Chicago Bulls can open the game wide open. The defensive pressure, the steals, the transition games, and then Tiffin taking it to the hole. Michael following it back up again, throws it down. He feels it. There's nothing else he can say other than the man feels it and lets us know. Oh, here's a three again. You know, and, and just let us know that, hey, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling good. It's my game. I love it. I love it. Good work, gentlemen. Well, make sure you check out True Hoop, right? You guys just yeah. had Bobby Jones on. Uh, it was you, you, Coach Thorpe, and, and Bobby Jones? That's correct. 
Yeah, that was delightful. Live from Verona. That's our first uh, Italian connection. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, today we had a pretty fun... We had a science writer on today, and she... One of the things that came up was that she, in honor of coronavirus, uh, intentionally purchased a dinosaur costume on Amazon. And uh, okay. that's part of her approach to the virus. Sure, she's yeah. using science, all right? She's using science. So she bought a, I think it was a pterodactyl, maybe. I forget. But yeah. um, she's got that in the closet in case it gets really hairy. I mean, I don't want to spoil it but did she think she can fly away with this pterodactyl costume if things get bad what's <laughs> unfortunately she should not have mentioned it in passing but she she and a friend like i think half joking thought that it would be a way if everyone was wearing a, a pterodactyl costume they could be effectively perfectly socially distanced and hang out together okay mm, yeah i guess right. you know the wingspan it's at that point costume. yeah so you could actually go to the park with your dog or whatever and there's no chance you're gonna accidentally make out all right, there you go. That's uh, <laughs> that's what you find on Tube this week. Uh, yeah, that's what we do. That's how we do. Pterodactyl costumes to <laughs> to fight off COVID nineteen for uh, for Henry Abbott, for Javon Edwards, for Watson Lambert, for Dave DeFore and Jade Hoy. I'm Zach Harper. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't done that, what's wrong with you? Subscribe to the pod, and uh, you can still, I believe, get a ninety day trial with uh, the Athletic, or you can get the forty percent off for a yearly subscription. Uh, a lot going on there, so make sure you subscribe to that. Subscribe to True Hoop, all that good stuff, and keep it locked in here on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is what he gets the big bucks for. <laughs>